0: hello my friends welcome to detox podcast my name is denise i am your host this is episode 69 i believe and if you are new here this is a podcast where i go through my poetry collection pick your poison uh, well we've got two volumes so far we've got volume one and volume two we're currently on volume one still we've got just a few more poems left of this one And then we'll be on to the next collection and if you don't have my poetry book pick your poison you can buy it uh, from me directly uh, on my website www.denisewalkerspeaks.com or you can buy it at cityinsoul.ca which is my business it's a wellness center but we have a retail store as well um and of course you can buy it on amazon too but you know amazon sucks and i basically get no money if you make a sale, and Amazon gets all of it, so. But if that's what's accessible for you, go for it. <laughs> so this poem that we're going to be focusing on today is called Horlack Park Amphitheatre, and it's all about cravings, and yeah, so the whole poem will be about cravings and what happens, how it happens, what to do about it, sort of thing. Um, Yeah, before we get started, we've got a couple events coming up at City and Seoul that might pique your interest. We've got uh, on Sunday. Today is December the 11th, 2020. Nearing the end of 2020 here, coming up on the holidays. If you're in Alberta, um, Christmas has been cancelled. So, (laughs) uh, if you're looking for a little bit more support, we've got a Moon Goddess gathering on Sunday at 6.30pm Mountain Time. And then next week, we've got a breathwork workshop on Saturday, the 18th, which is called Seasonal Support. And it's all about finding seasonal support with breathwork and journaling and stuff like that. And we also have a winter solstice event on Sunday, the 19th. If you're interested in joining any of those, you can join from anywhere because it's all virtual. Uh, You can go to cityandsoul.ca slash workshops and you'll be able to find all of that there. Um, yeah, so without further ado, let's get into this. Episode 69 Horlack Park Amphitheatre. Can they see my cravings crawling underneath my skin? My demons personified dance in the blinding light of the setting sun. This was my haven, my dark sanctuary where my sins could fester. I was hidden by the sea of immorality, but like that satin shining across the stage, my deepest reaches are illuminated. I'm exposed for the grotesque being I want to be. Let me writhe, let me sweat, let my eyes roll back inside my head, please take my soul, please take from me whatever that is left. So I wrote this poem after getting back from Mexico, that I detailed in the last couple episodes, where I drank again after being three months sober. I was drinking for a week while I was in Mexico, and then I came back with the complete intention to be sober again. That was like my last hurrah. I was going to be sober from then on out. And I didn't really think about what events were in my life after that. Um, Just a week later after returning, I went to this music festival called Interstellar Rodeo, which is at Horlock Park, which is a park here in Edmonton, Alberta. And the it's in an enclosed amphitheater structure with a bunch of like actual fixed seats. It's not like you're sitting on a hill or in the grass or something. Um, you actually get to sit down and there's a stage and you there's only one act at a time. Uh, it's pretty intimate with still feeling like a large festival. And the one thing that addicted Denise loved the most about it was that they served alcohol to you in your seat. People roamed around with trays and buckets filled with wine and beer and cider. And I would just get loaded every day It was beautiful, sunny. People brought it right to my seat. I didn't have to go line up somewhere or sit in a beer garden. Like the entire place was licensed. It was drinking Denise's ultimate fantasy. And that's like, this is why I call it my haven, my dark sanctuary, because everybody around me was doing the same thing. You didn't have, like, I always thought when I went up, when I left my seat to go get another drink or went to line up eyes were on me and you know i would go to this festival with my mom it was kind of a tradition that we would do and it was really fun and really great but my mom was always very tuned in to how much i was drinking so she would see this and i would i i would do little things too like little sneaky drinker things where I would be drinking one specific type of something and then I would go and get another one and pretend it was the same one right even though I've gone through multiple I would pretend I was just still drinking the same one and my oh my I I loved it it was so it was so easy to be my like addicted self there it was so easy and at late in the afternoon you always had to remember to bring sunglasses because the sun would cut so sharply across the stage right into the um spectator's eyes that's what I say about this and it I I after being in Mexico drinking again and then coming home and having only one week of sobriety where I thrust myself back into this interstellar rodeo music festival where in the past i had so many drinking memories imagine your first week sober if you can and and going to one of the most ultimate drinking memory locations it it was at the time i i had a sudden realization that i'd made a grave error (laughs) um It was horrendous. I felt like I was going to crawl out of my skin. I was sitting there trying to enjoy myself and craving was just flooding my every sense. It was, oh man. And I had my boyfriend there and I was confiding in him because it is difficult when you're having a full body like nervous system response your midbrain is beginning to freak the fuck out. You're in panic mode and you're trying to keep your prefrontal cortex online, your decision-making center of the brain to, to try to think your way through it. Try to keep it online so you don't drink. You don't start acting out the s- so deeply ingrained patterns and you're trying to think your way through it. And I'm, I'm trying to confide in him and, and explain just how bad it is. But I don't know. It's back then I didn't really have the language for it, you know? I didn't have the language or the maybe courage or, or sureness of myself to really describe just how much danger I was in. And i knew i needed to stay there the leaving didn't feel like an option and and there's two reasons one because when you're in a panic state a logical thing like leaving sometimes doesn't uh, cross your mind i guess there's two reasons three reasons two um there was a monetary value associated with being there right like i had to pay quite a bit of money to attend this festival. Three, I actually wanted to be there. I wanted to be there with my family and my friends and experience this because I knew that if I could just stick it out, if I could survive this weekend, then so many good things would happen. One, I would have been able to survive pretty much the ultimate test. And if I could survive that, then I could know I could survive anything. In sobriety i could make it through anything and two um i would be recreating memories so that this thing that i love so much could become a safe place in the future and so i'm there i know in the first half of being there my boyfriend wasn't there and I was kind of freaking out on my own. And they have this marketplace. And I went to a vendor called Sagestone Malas. And um, I will talk a little bit about cultural pre- appropriation in a moment of malas, but just for a little little drop of knowledge for you. But there's there was a vendor, Sagestone Malas, and I had known her, or no, maybe I didn't actually know her quite yet. This is the first time me getting to know her. And I found a mala. If you don't know what a mala is, it's like a string of beads or crystals used for meditation purposes um, originating in India. Um, And I found this one made of tiger's eye and garnet. This is a dark, beautiful mala and it was heavy. And the little tag on it said it was perfect for protection and someone who is just starting a spiritual journey. And I was like, okay, this is what I need. And then I wore it around my neck, like a piece of armor. It was heavy. So I let it hold me down to the earth. And this became a a token through the weekend and then through the next year of like protection, And safety and malas many white people make malas and sell them and have businesses and there's a lot of misinformation about malas I've been told by many white women like oh it's okay to wear them because if you look at the people in India and the gurus in India they're just draped in these malas it's okay to wear them like jewelry and so I I guess that was me Thinking, okay, yeah, fine. I used to wear them like jewelry all the time. I used to have work or um, sorry, photo shoots, and I would wear them in my photos. I thought it made me more legitimate, you know. Like I, I wore them when I taught meditation, and there was, of course, and I I convinced myself like, oh, there's a there's a, a spiritual component to this, so it's okay. Like I'm I am doing this, and I and I know how to do Japa, the meditation with the where you actually like go through the beads sitting in meditation and meditate on the beads and with a mantra and and things like that. So I convinced myself that I was doing it right. I wasn't being harmful, but I was. I, I watched a seminar from an actual South Indian, or so sorry, South Asian woman about malas and cultural appropriation. And you should not wear them like jewelry. If you're wearing them, they should be like under your shirt, close to your heart. They should never touch the floor. I see so many people in yoga class, uh, once they get there, they are wearing their mala, they take it off and they put it on the ground, which is like a huge no-no. It should be like hung up in a very um, important place in your home uh, and yeah, it should receive lots of love and care and attention. And it's definitely not a fashion statement or something to make a white meditation teacher more legitimate. Just a little tidbit for you there. Um, So craving, how craving works. There's this thing called dopamine, which I'm sure you've heard of. It's a chemical in the brain that gets released when the brain wants something. It's not just released when you give it something that it likes, it's actually released ahead of time. And so what dopamine does is once it hears these cues, cues like ice clinking against a glass, cues like being at a music festival where all you did was so many different little memories of drinking, this is exactly where you can now get your fix. You have, uh, you see the cans on the trays as they pass you by. You, oh, I forgot to mention that at this music festival, they paired the artists with wines, which in retrospect is ridiculous. But when I was actually there in it, I thought it was the coolest thing (laughs) ever. And so then I wanted to try all the wines, of course. Oh my word. Oh, so there's all of this, right? It's being like thrown in your face. There's no non-alcoholic options. It's just like a barrage of mental cues for your brain to then flood your brain with dopamine. And then dopamine, its job is to remove the other options in your brain. It like takes them out one by one. It's like, oh, water? No. Oh, food? No. No. Oh, shopping? No. Oh, sitting here and not drinking? No. Drinking? Oh, yes, that's the one we want. And then they put all the focus onto drinking, like this tunnel vision onto it. So it's the only option in your brain that's left. That's why it feels like you're on a one-track mind. That's why it feels like you can't distract yourself. It's wild. (laughs) And if you've experienced this, you know. And so it's really difficult in that moment, nearly impossible, to say no. Your brain is working against you. So what you have to do in this moment where you're in a situation where you used to drink all the time, you're being lit up by all these cues, you have to start just making decisions and doing them. Like me walking to the marketplace and buying time, literally actually like buying time is what you need to do. Forcing that decision, pushing it a little bit later, a little bit later, this is what I did anyway. So. Go to the marketplace, make a purchase, take your time perusing the selections. No hasty decisions. Go get yourself some lunch. Walk around. Take in the little things. Take in the smells. Focus on your five senses. Taste, smell, sight, feel, sound. Buy time by the time until the end of the day and you go to bed. Because sleep will then reset everything. Do whatever you can to get to the end of the day. Because when you wake up, that sensation of craving, at least for me, because I wasn't at a point where like I would wake up and drink and I really feel like that would be very hard if your wake-up cue included fighting cravings right off the bat. So if that's you, I really feel for you. And I suppose the same advice just applies is to just keep delaying it, complete, keep delaying the choice. And the whole idea is to try to keep the prefrontal cortex online, because what happens is when we're in this state, craving is driven by the midbrain, which is, if you, if you think about it, the midbrain is in the middle, middle of the brain. So before we were our evolved versions of ourselves as humans, we, um, we had the midbrain first, the brainstem, then the midbrain with the amygdala and then, and the hippocampus, and then the rest of the brain on top of it developed later on. So This is our like core survival, fight or flight, eat or be eaten type area of the brain. So, and uh, it's what my therapist calls uh, a bottom up brain, is when the bottom middle brain is in control and it's running the show. So this is your amygdala freaking out that it needs something because it's been taught over time that alcohol is a need. Or whatever it is that you are addicted to or were addicted to. This could be anything. And it's freaking out. It's saying it's it's sending signals to the brain, flooding the the amygdala is in charge of this like dopamine flood, and it's and it's saying, Do the addictive behavior. Come on. Come on, what are you waiting for? Let's go, let's go do it 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 and it won't it won't let up until you do it so we have to start trying to get the prefrontal cortex back online which is done by awareness recognizing when we are in this panic state where the amygdala midbrain is talking to us and we can say hmm I recognize this. I'm in craving right now. And I am going to sit here. No, I will not listen to you midbrain. Fuck you. I'm going to sit here. And I'm going to do whatever else. And you start trying to logic and think your way through it. You start talking back to it. Awareness, awareness, trying to get the prefrontal cortex back online to make choices to say no, And the more we do this, the stronger that prefrontal cortex becomes. The more we practice awareness in all aspects of our lives, when we realize when we're feeling angry, when we feel like we're having a reaction, an emotional reaction to something, it helps. All of these little things to start to beef up that prefrontal cortex. So if this is like gobbledygook to you, and you're in a place where like yesterday you decided to stop drinking and today is your first day sober, awareness. It's time to introduce something like a body scan first thing in the morning, where you just scan your body looking for little signs of tension or emotion that are stirring within you thoughts that are bouncing around your head and just saying oh that's interesting my first thought of the day was all the shit I have to do today oh my first thought of the day was "Ooh, what am i gonna have for breakfast my first thought of the day was oh yesterday I stopped drinking and I thought I was supposed to feel good by now <laughs> or huh this is my first day without a hangover what does this feel like how does my stomach feel today Throughout your day, just notice at any time you have a a conflict with another person where it drums up a little bit of an emotion within you. Notice if you're in traffic and you start to get a little irritated. Notice if you start to doom scroll about COVID-19. Notice if you're feeling grief. start to notice. And I would really like to say that if you've been contemplating getting sober, and 2020 has been like a hellhole of a year, but I could think that being at home has given a lot of people permission to drink a lot, because we are safe in our homes, some of us are safe in our homes, where there isn't the prying eye of the public or friends or family, especially if you live alone. You can drink as much as you want, you can use whatever drug it is as much as you want, you can do whatever That's why it's called pick your poison, right? It's like whatever whatever habitual action you are doing that is stealing your joy, you are doing. And I say stealing your joy because that's an important piece is like, is it a problem? If it's making you unhappy, if it's harming you, then yeah, it's a problem. If it's not, that's your decision to make. And I would like to say that perhaps now Perhaps in this time where we are all inside and we're not going out with our friends and family and we're ha- we're we're getting this opportunity to make a whole bunch of new memories this year because life's not just a repeat of the year before or the year before. We're not going on the same vacations. We're not going to the same wineries. We're not going to the same music festivals with alcohol delivered to your seat. We're not going to concerts or movie theaters where they serve alcohol because we have that year and we're not going to christmas dinner where i used to get loaded with my family we're not doing new year's eve parties where we're getting loaded and popping champagne at midnight these are all things that used to trigger the fuck out of me and what i would have what i would have liked to give to have not had to do those things. Because there's so much pressure to try to be normal. I say like quote unquote normal, like to be your old self whilst being this new version of yourself or trying to find this new version of yourself. So much pressure to go to the party and be okay, even though you're not okay. Go to the uh, Christmas dinner, pop the champagne, go to the the festival go on the vacation with your friends even though it'll feel like your skin's on fire like all of these things i wish that didn't exist in my first years of recovery where they were so har- harrowing there's good things there's good things about trial by fire because you you make those new memories and you 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 reset the the patterns in the brain but We have a very, very interesting new opportunity here this year to be safe from all of those really scary, panic-inducing events. You won't have to go to those. You don't have to face the, oh, why aren't you drinking question a hundred million times. So I ask you, what are you waiting for? It's never been socially easier. There are so many other factors because I just, I want to say this because I don't want to be giving this advice recklessly to you here because we are all being collectively traumatized, right? And if this is your coping mechanism, then maybe this is not the right time. But I also don't want to give permission for you to just continue to harm yourself, right? Because there's there's a coping mechanism and then there's something that's starting to hurt you because alcohol decreases the immune system and it makes you never have full restful sleeps where your body can heal itself and detox itself and get itself reset you're always in this fight or flight mode your body's fighting to stay okay because you're poisoning it and yes this might be your coping mechanism so it's your choice to make the power is in your hands whether or not you want to continue doing it is doing what it is you're doing. But there are some benefits to stopping now. There's no parties. There's no societal pressure. In person, anyway. <laughs> There's still a lot of awful memes out there saying that alcohol is like the solution to quarantine and blah, blah, blah normalizing how much we're drinking, just sick and awful and so not okay. I would highly suggest Tempest Sobriety School if you're looking for camaraderie amongst this. If you're looking for support that is not in person because we can't have that right now, you will find a community that will support you there are lots of online programs and online support groups. If you identify as female, you can join She Recovers um, on Facebook. It's a huge, hundreds of thousands of women in this support group online on Facebook. And, you, and like so many people respond to any problem you have and you'll find solace and friendship and you will find that you are not alone. Corlac Park Amphitheater. Can they see my cravings crawling underneath my skin? My demons personified dance in the blinding light of the setting sun. This was my haven, my dark sanctuary where my sins could fester. I was hidden by the sea of immorality, but like that shining sun across the stage, my deepest reaches are illuminated. I am exposed for the grotesque being I want to be. Let me writhe, let me sweat, let my eyes roll back inside my head. Please take my soul. Please take from me whatever that is left.